You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. What is up, Trace Online, man? We're pumped to have every one of you with us this morning. I want to tell you something really quick, a story that happened this past week in my family. Uh, it's not uncommon that we'll ask one of our kids to pray for us before dinner. And so uh, last week we were asking, you know, who wants to pray? And our little three-year-old, she doesn't do this very often, Madison, she said she was going to pray. And so she's praying. It was really sweet. And before she gets to her amen, she says, and God, don't let daddy get the virus. Now, she didn't say it for anyone else. She just said it for me. So I just want to make the point that even a three-year-old knows who's essential. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, she probably knows who's the most susceptible, to be honest with you. But we got to get a laugh out of that. Hopefully you did, too. Uh, hey, we want to welcome all of you. And we know there are people that are watching uh, from all around the nation. And so wherever you're watching from today, we want to say welcome and thanks for joining us. Uh, if you're new to Trace, we'd love to know who you are. All you have to do is let us know by in the post you're watching right now. Just put type hashtag new to trace and we just simply want to say hi and answer any questions that you might have but real quick I want to take a moment for those of you that actually call trace home for those of you that actually come and join us here in Colorado Springs when we're gathering together I got a, I got something I want to make you aware of up uh, upcoming what well, let me say that differently this past week uh, we had several conversations uh, we've been having several conversations about uh, whether or not it's time to open the doors again. And I want to let you know that we're strongly looking at June 7th as being the date in which we will come back as a church. Now, let me be clear, that is not in stone and that is not certain, uh, but we're having a lot of conversations about that happening. And if we pull the trigger on that, you'll know. Make sure you stay connected to our so social media platforms. Download our app. We've been telling you from the very beginning that the best way to stay connected at Trace is through our app. And then uh, we'll be communicating also through email. If you don't get our newsletter, then you can let us know what your information is. We'll get you in our system and make sure that you're getting our newsletter as well. Sound good? But until then, until then, we're still doing digital church online. In other words, we are one church meeting in <clears throat> hundreds of locations, including your home this morning. And I found something this past week that's going to help you to stay engaged during the sermon because I'm preaching to almost an empty auditorium and it's going to help me as a preacher. And so here's, here's what I want you to use. It's your sermon response kit, right? And so, man, if I say something or the spirit's just moving in your home, it's like, yes, or come on, Jesus, or wow, or preach it, Aaron, or that's right, or that's so good, it's so good. So, man, that'll help me out a little bit. It's going to help you stay engaged as well. Hey, today we're kicking off a new series called Change My Mind. And the idea behind this series was for us to put together some subjects and some topics that bring with them a certain amount of opinions, bring with them at times even debate, especially when it comes to the church. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the subject of discipleship. We're going to be looking at uh, faith deconstruction stories, people that are walking away from Jesus. And the reasons they're giving for why they're walking away from Jesus really aren't essential to the faith at all. Like, in other words, it's, it's not a really good reason for them to say, you know what, I don't want to be a part of Christianity anymore. So we're going to look at that. And then we're going to look at organized religion, right? I mean, I think we've all had somebody in our life at some point have said, you know what? I love Jesus, but I don't want to be a part of organized religion. And I'm sure we all know if somebody, somebody has said that, but here's what I believe. I believe that it's not organized religion that they're actually upset with. What I believe they're probably upset with is the fact they probably had a, a bad church experience somewhere along the way. And because of that bad church experience, they've kind of gotten in their mind that that's the way that it always is. And if that's the way that it always is, then I don't want anything to do with that. And so they've kind of bowed out when it comes to the gathering of God's church. But we know 
by the very definition of the ecclesia of Jesus that it was part of God's design that we gather together. But for today, for today, the subject that I want to tackle with you is the subject of discipleship. Now, I know you're watching from home, but all at once, let's all say it together on the count of three. You ready? One, two, three, discipleship. Don't you feel more spiritual? Like we just feel more spiritual and more holy when we use this word. It's kind of a, a spiritual word. We like to say this word. It's a word that's used in the church a lot. And it's probably not lost on you that if you've been a part of the church for any amount of time, there's a lot of opinions. Man, there are a lot of opinions when it comes to how church should be done. I mean, even you, let's just look at you and talk about you personally. Like if you've had any church experience in the, in the past, if you were grown, you know, you grew up in the church, when you come to a new church, maybe you came to Trace, maybe you moved in from out of town, whatever that is, you come with a certain amount of experiences and you come with a certain amount of even expectations. And so a lot of people have a lot of opinions when it comes to how church should be done. And all those opinions are good. Uh, moving on. And so a lot of what will happen, or a, a word that often surfaces in the midst and the context of all these opinions about how church should be done, oftentimes it's revolving around this word, discipleship. Now, if you're new to church really quick, the, best, the quickest way that I would define that, jump back really quick, the quickest way that I would define that would be that discipleship is kind of this idea of going deeper, right? When people talk about discipleship, it's learning what it means to follow Jesus more. It's learning more about the Bible. It's this idea, the sentiment of going deeper, learning more. And many churches will often associate it with some kind of program or process that they put in place uh, that oftentimes when people kind of come out of those programs or out of those processes in the context of discipleship, they're given a to-do list. But the argument that I want to make today is this. When discipleship becomes a to-do list, it also becomes destructive. When discipleship becomes a to-do list, it also becomes destructive. So what I wanted to do today is I want to I help us to kind of reshape the way that we look at discipleship. Over the last couple of decades, uh, I've been involved in countless ministries. Uh, I have heard thousands of sermons. I have been a part of hundreds of Bible studies, and I have been to dozens of Christian conferences. And one of the themes that I have seen and noticed that surfaces in, in my experiences and all of that is this sentiment and this kind of expression that Christians in America, in America, <laughs> are immature. That Christians in America are immature. And so a lot of people in my position, when they're a part of these Bible studies and they're a part of these conferences, and we kind of feel this pressure and this sentiment where it's like, well, if Christians in America are immature, I don't want those immature Christians in my church. And so there's kind of this bent in this position to say, well, I don't want we Christians in my church, so we're going to preach the Bible more as if that's the ultimate answer, right? And so we kind of have this bent where it's just like, well, we just need to preach the word of God more. And what happens, listen to me, what often happens on the other side of this, it's kind of like a pendulum swing. What happens is we begin to teach the Bible at the expense of reaching people far from God. And then you have people over on this side that they want to reach people they're so passionate and they've got this holy discontent. They want to reach people far from God that they forget the importance of teaching the Bible. The way that we've explained this in the past is the tension between truth and grace, 
right, the truth, wanting to teach the truth of God. In some churches, what happens is they err on the side of teaching the truth of God, and so they start to lose sight of the lost people that Jesus came to die for. And then other, over here, people, they're so, they're so bent on the grace of God and reaching people far from God that they forget the importance of teaching the truth of God. And there's tension here, real tension. And we've decided as a church that we want to embrace that tension. If you're new to Trace, that's where our name comes from. We took the word truth and we put it with the word grace, and that's how we get the, the name Trace, because we want to elevate both. We want to be a church that's always elevating, not just one or the other, or doing one so much so that we're doing so at the expense of the other. No, we want to elevate both. In John's Gospel, in chapter 1, it says that Jesus came full. He didn't say he came with a balance of truth and grace. He says it came, he came full of both grace and truth. And although we'll get it wrong, we've decided we want to be a church that is embracing the tension of both. Because when you try to elevate both, there's tension, right? We want to reach people far from God. Your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers that are broken on the fringes, they're, they're kind of like just, they, they, they have this disposition to not want to be a part of church. Like those are the people that we're thinking about. Those are the people we were thinking about when we opened the doors of this church, but we never want to lose sight of the truth of God. Both are incredibly biblical, truth and grace. I love how Chris Hodges said it when he says, truth without grace is mean, and grace without truth is meaningless, but truth and grace together are good medicine. But what we have a tendency to do, and what I've seen churches and church leaders have a tendency to do is when we kind of get this feeling where it's like, oh man, I don't want to be a part of one of those churches that's creating immature Christians, is we err on the side, well, let's just teach the truth of God is if that's the answer. Now listen to me, because if you don't, you're gonna hear something that I'm not saying. Is it an answer? Absolutely. Is it the answer? No. And don't just take it from me, man, take it from Jesus. In John's Gospel in chapter five, Jesus is challenging some of the Pharisees of his day, the guys that knew a lot about the scriptures. I wanna show you what he says. He says, you, talking to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life but the scriptures point to me. Let me pause there for a second. Maybe you've met someone in the course of your Christian walk where, man, they knew a lot about the Bible. Maybe they wanted to argue a lot of the points about the Bible. They loved to debate. They do what I often call point-proving theology, but in the process of talking to them, even though they knew a lot about the Bible, it's like, are we still talking about Jesus? It's as if in the process of wanting to prove a point, we actually lose sight of the point. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about here. He says, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my father's name and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe for you gladly honor each other. And how would they honor each other? It's like, oh, Rabbi, you know so much. You're doing so much. You know so many of the scriptures. You've memorized so much of the scripture and you do so many holy things. They would recognize and they would honor each other. But you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Church, to a great extent, to a great extent, I believe we've gotten discipleship wrong. Unfortunately, it's as if discipleship has become equated to spiritual intellectualism. And I've been doing this long enough to know that spiritual intellectualism does not equate, does not equal spiritual obedience. Can I say it again? Spiritual intellectualism is not equal to spiritual obedience. And so can I just, 
Can we get really practical? Do you think God actually cares how much you know about the Bible if, you're not, if it's not changing the way that you live and love? Do you think that God actually cares how much of the Bible you have memorized if it's not changing your willingness to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel? Now, it's possible somebody's watching this and they're like, Aaron, it sounds like you're just dismissing the importance of scripture. And this is exactly why a lot of my pastor friends and lead pastors and senior pastors that I know don't approach this subject with their congregations because they have a lot of Pharisees among them that are going to be like, whoa, 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 it sounds like you're challenging the Bible. So let me be really, really, really clear this morning. I'm not challenging the word of God. I'm challenging how you use the word of God. And we should always be challenged on how we use the word of God. Do I think you should memorize scripture? Absolutely. I'm a big fan of scripture memorization. Do it myself and I do it with our kids. But if we just get to know more about God so that we can show people what we know about God, you've missed the point. Just like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, you've missed the point. Do I want you to study God's word? Yeah, absolutely, every single day. I think we've made that clear here. Even in our Bible study process that we call D1, we want you to be in God's word every single day. But why? Listen to me. We get to know Jesus so that we can show people Jesus. We don't get to know Jesus so we can show people what we know about Jesus. We all know those people, right? Hey, I want you to know what I know about the Bible. No, we, we get to know Jesus because we want to show people Jesus, not just show them what we know, but somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, we've been misguided. We've been misguided to think that going deeper and growing in our faith is just knowing more about the Bible, just joining more Bible studies. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, there are times throughout, I think, probably every lead pastor's career where somebody's going to come up to him and say, Pastor, I want to go deeper. Like, we just want to go deeper. We want to go deeper. And most of the time, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes that equates to, we want to know more about the Bible. I want to know more about the Bible. And listen to me. I believe this sentiment, I believe this sentiment is pure. And I, th I actually even appreciate the sentiment, but I believe the spiritual directive is off. Because going deeper, automatically equating to just learning more about the Bible, I'm not sure we ever see that in the New Testament. I'm not sure that we ever see in the New Testament where it's like, we want to go deeper, and Jesus says, well, then just pray more and just read more of the Bible and just learn more of these things. No, usually it's sacrifice. Usually going deeper has something to do with like Luke 9, 23, when Jesus says, hey, if you really are serious about this, if you want to follow me, then you need to pick up your own cross, deny yourself daily. In other words, make your own sacrifices and follow me. It's funny, even on the subject of prayer, you know, sometimes we think being more spiritual or growing, going deeper, just pray longer, learn to pray for an hour or two hours. But when you look at the directive of Jesus, he actually says, stop praying so long. Stop using so many words. Stop babbling on like the pagans. And then he gives us an outline, outline of how to pray, and it's pretty simple and to the point. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for an hour if you feel led to. I'm not saying that you shouldn't study the scriptures diligently so that you can know God, but we do that with the purpose of getting to know God so that we can show God. Not that we become spiritually fat because of all the things that we're learning and we want other people to see what we know. And so again, let me jump back to when somebody comes to me and they're like, Aaron, we want to go deeper. I appreciate the sentiment, but here's how this conversation almost always go. It almost always goes this way. I'll look at them and say, man, I love it. I love that you want to go deeper. I really do. 
The sentiment is pure. How long have you been following Jesus? How long have you been a Christian? The answer could be five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And I'll be like, man, that's incredible. You've been following Jesus for that long. My guess is you've learned a lot about who he is. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever sat down with somebody and actually shared what you already know? And almost always, the answer is no. Never. People that have been following Jesus for 20 years, they know a lot about who he is. They know a lot about what the Bible already says. But they've never sat down with someone and actually told them what they already know. And so I look at them in the most sincere way that I know how. And maybe, I need to, maybe I'm saying this to one of you today. Maybe there's somebody that really needs to hear exactly what I'm getting ready to say. If you really want to go deeper, if that's true, if that's the sentiment, if you really want to go deeper, in other words, you want to strengthen your faith in God, the best way to do that is to share what you already know, <laughs> to make yourself available, to sit down and share with someone what God has done in your life. If you really want to go deeper and that's what you're after, I believe that's the best thing that you can do, which is why when I'm talking with people, I say this, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if you learn anything else until you share what you know with someone else. Can I say it again? I don't care if you learn anything else about the Bible until you share what you know with someone else. Because if you're just learning more about the Bible to get spiritually fat so that you can know more, so that you can show people what you know instead of showing people who you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. And sometimes the very people who want to go deeper, listen to me, sometimes the very people who want to go deeper don't want their life to be disturbed that's not what Jesus was talking about when he said, pick up your cross and follow me. People who want to learn more about the Bible but aren't, aren't telling anyone else about what they're already learning, that's not what God was talking about when he came to build a new kingdom. People who want to grow their spiritual IQ but aren't willing to give of their time, their talents, and their treasure for the sake of the gospel, that's not in God's economy. And so we get to know Jesus we get to know Jesus so that we can show Jesus. And so let me be really clear. Discipleship. Discipleship is not knowledge. Discipleship is not knowledge. And knowledge does not produce spiritual maturity on its own. Let me show you what Paul says. Don't take it from me. Take it from Paul. Let me show you what Paul says when he's interacting and corresponding with a church that he planted in a city called Corinth. And based on what he's saying, I know he's talking to the Jewish leaders in that city because they're arguing about food sacrifice to idols, which would have come from the old covenant, and it would have been Jewish people that would have been having some friction when it came to this subject. And so Paul addresses it. He says, now, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge. And I love the sentiment behind Paul here. It's almost like, guys, I know you know what the scripture says. Okay, I, I know you know what the scripture says. Let's just get that out of the way. Yes, I know you can quote to me from Leviticus, and I know you can quote to me from Deuteronomy. I know what you know. Let's, okay, we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, man, this is good. While knowledge makes us feel important, it's actually love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. Now, I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth. Does that mean that knowledge like, doesn't have its place, that knowledge isn't important? No, of course it's important. I like the way that Solomon says in Proverbs 9, he says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One 
results in good judgment. Here's how I'd say it. God's word shows us God's ways and ultimately God's will. And so, of course, there's a healthy amount of knowledge that we should have about God's word because it's going to show us God's ways that will help us to discern God's will for our own lives. But way too many Christians, way too many Christians stop at knowing it instead of showing it. I love how Kerry Newhoff said it in his quote. He says, it's wonderful that people understand what they believe, but knowledge in and of itself is not the hallmark of Christian maturity. And some of the most biblically literate people in Jesus's day got bypassed as disciples. I love that. Absolutely love that. You see, I believe there's a really intentional reason behind why Jesus chose the 12 guys that he chose to be his original disciples, to be the first fellows that he wanted to be around him, the the first fellows that he was going to use to build his church on. He wasn't building his church on intellect. He wasn't building his church on people who had the right view on the rapture or end times or those who had all the right spiritual answers. Now, Jesus, he wanted to have people around him to help build his church that were devoted to his gospel, that were loyal, (laughs) understood the idea and the sentiment of surrender and obedience. He was looking for people that would share with him a holy discontent for people who didn't know about the grace of God yet. Those are the kind of guys that he was looking for when he chose to build his church. And I think it's important that we understand that. You see, Jesus wasn't looking for scholars. He was looking for students. When you break down the word disciple in the Greek, it actually means pupil or student. It could also mean apprentice. You see, he was looking for broken and imperfect people like you and me. Broken and imperfect people that would be willing to say, God, I don't, I don't have much, but you can have my life. God, I, I don't know what I can offer you, But if you could use me to make a difference for your kingdom, you can have my life. In other words, I want your life and your light to shine through me. Jesus talks about this very thing in Matthew 5 when he says, You, you're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is put on a stand where it gives light for everyone in the house to see. In the same way, let your good deeds shine, not let your intellect shine. Don't let people know, hey, do you know how much of the Bible I've got memorized? Do you know how many Bible studies I've been a part of? Do you know that I can tell you and I can explain to you what that actually means? And again, getting in this point-proving theology where we start to lose sight of Jesus and all the spiritual rhetoric. I'm sure if you've been a part of church for any amount of time, you been there, but Jesus says, no, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your father in heaven. So here's my argument. Today, I want to give you a new definition of discipleship, a definition that we've been talking about a lot around here, and it's going to make a lot of sense, especially as we continue to build the culture of Trace Church. And the new definition is this, leadership in the context of faith is discipleship. 
Now, let me pause there really quick because some, this may be the first time you've ever heard anything like this. And sometimes leadership is critiqued within in church context or in Christian context. And I've seen this happen where leadership is elevated so much that it's almost as if leadership becomes an idol within the context of church and what's being, being done, what's happening. But listen to me, leadership, it's important that you see this entire thing. Leadership in the context of faith is discipleship. Why do I believe that? Because I believe leadership is influence. And I believe that everyone has influence. Influence is just the ability to shape the opinions and actions of others. And so leveraging your influence to lead others towards Jesus is discipleship, leadership. In the context of faith is discipleship. And one of the things that we've determined as a church is that we want to be we want to create a leadership development culture here at Trace because we believe everyone has influence and because everyone has influence, everyone is a leader. And so we want to help you to grow as a leader and to leverage your influence in the direction of Jesus. Everyone has influence. In other words, if we help you to grow as a leader, we think it's going to make you a better father and wife and husband or daughter or sister or neighbor or coworker or friend. And when you learn that you have that influence and you're being developed as a leader and you use that in the context of faith, you'll be able to steer people in the direction of Jesus. And we believe that's discipleship. And so we want to create a leadership development culture here, Trace. We want every one of you to become a better leader. And I'm going to show you a passage that a lot of people have overlooked in the Bible. It's a passage that actually elevates the subject of leadership. And a lot of people miss this. It's in Rome, <clears throat> excuse me, Romans chapter 12. Paul says, that, Paul says this, In his grace, God has given us different gifts, for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift, <clears throat> excuse me, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. That kind of makes sense. If it's giving, then give generously. And then, God, and then Paul says this, if God has given you leadership ability, then take the responsibility seriously. Leadership is a spiritual gift. And then he concludes, and if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, then do it get gladly. You see, I believe that God has given some people kind of this natural ability to be a leader. And you've probably recognized some of those people in your life where it's like, man, that dude or that, that lady, man, they are leaders. God has gifted them in the area of leadership. And sometimes because that is a gift, we've dismissed that everyone actually has the potential to be a leader. I believe everyone is a leader because everyone has influence and leadership is influence. And so we want to help to develop that gift within you because if you'll leverage that in the context of faith, we believe it's discipleship and you're going to be more effective in helping people to take another step in their direction towards Jesus. So let me say it again. Leadership is influence. We believe everyone has influence. Influence is the ability to shape the opinions and actions of others. So when you, let, when you leverage that influence to lead others towards Jesus, it's discipleship. Leadership in the context of faith is discipleship. Changed my mind. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to lead us into a time of response. Father, thank you for this morning. And God, I pray that... Uh, number one, for those that have been a part of maybe different church contexts and uh, different faith environments where they were kind of taught a to-do list, 
where it's like, yeah, you want to be a better Christian? Then just do A, B, and C. Do this more often. And it's kind of led to this performance language or this performance approach of our Heavenly Father that is bad because when we don't feel like we're following through on that to-do list, then I guess we failed as being a Christian. And Lord, you don't ever give us that performance language in your New Testament that if we just do these things more, if do more of these things even, that somehow we become a better Christian in the process. God, we know that's legalism. Now, God, we also know that some of these things that we do out of obedience allow us to know who you are in spending time with you in prayer and in your word and getting to understand who you are in the life of Jesus allows us to better show who he is through the way that we live our lives. What we're learning should directly affect how we live. And if it's not, then we just become spiritually fat and we're no better than the Pharisees. And God, I've been doing this long enough to know that there's probably a little bit of a little Pharisee in all of us. And so wherever we need to be convicted and critiqued today, God, I pray that you would point it out to us, that you would, sh- that you would search our hearts and our minds and our souls and show us where we're, we're, taking, we're taking the wrong approach when it comes to to learning about you, to studying your word, to prayer. So Father, I pray that you uproot anything in us in our approach of you that's unhealthy that leads to kind of this performance theology. And God, replace it. Replace it and remind us that you just want us to be in your presence. Like we pray so that we can be in your presence. We study who you are because we want to be in your presence and we want to know who you are so we can better represent who you are and how we live and and God, we just need help there because we, we drift, we get, we get this wrong, and sometimes we allow our intellect to get the best of us and we start to think that we know more than we do and we just kind of lose sight of Jesus in the process. And so, uh, Father, I just pray you help us today. Help us to navigate through those weeds because I believe if we get this wrong, we get you wrong. So help us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to transition into a time of response right now. And For those of you that could be watching today, whether you're watching on Sunday morning or you're watching later, maybe somebody shares this with you and you watch it later, man, we want want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus today. He's not looking for perfect people. Hopefully we've proved that point this morning. He's not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for you to have your life all figured out before you decide that you want to give your life over to him. And I see that mistake happen all the time where I'm talking to somebody about the grace of God and they're like, well, man, that sounds good, Aaron, but man, you don't know what's going on in my life and I need to fix some things first. I need to go and I need to clean my life up a little bit because there's no way that God would accept me just as I am. And the crazy thing is, he actually does just as you are. He doesn't want you to go get cleaned up. He doesn't want you to go and try to fix a bunch of things before you come to him and accept his grace because he believes the best thing that you can do is actually invite him to be the leader and the Lord of your life and you guys can figure out those things together. Why in the world would you try to go do something on your own when God and Jesus specifically is saying, hey, let me help you with that. And so just as you are. You can hand your life over to God today. You can hand your life over. All you have to do is acknowledge that you've got sin in your life, that you've done something that you know that God didn't want you to do. And the only way that that gap can be filled is through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ on a cross. And he gave his life up for you. He actually took your place. You deserve the death that he endured. And he did that for you. And if you'll just acknowledge, God, I know, I know I'm a sinner. 
I know that Jesus died for me. I know he's willing to forgive me. I'm inviting you to be the leader and Lord of my life today. I surrender. We believe if you'll do that right now that you'll be saved. And we'd love to know if you've made that decision. And so feel free to reach out to us if you want to know more about what that looks like. We don't believe that's kind of like the, the last thing that you do. We believe it's the first thing that you really do. And that's just the beginning of your walk with Christ. And so please reach out to us and let us know how we can help you find your next steps with Jesus. Every week, we want to encourage you guys to participate in communion. It's something that we do every week when we're gathering together as a church. And so whether you do that now or you do that later, we would encourage you to, if it's just you by yourself or with a family or a friend, that you would take a cracker or a piece of bread that represents the broken body of Jesus and dip it in some juice or some wine that represents his blood. And remember that Jesus gave his life. He replaced your, where you should have been, he replaced that with his own life. He took your place. And he died so that we could have eternal life. And so we want to encourage you to at some point, today, tomorrow, uh, that you would celebrate in something that we call communion, the Lord's Supper. I also want to encourage you guys to keep uh, giving. We are so blessed by your generosity. It's allowed us to do incredible things over the course of this crisis, being a blessing to single moms and to local elementary schools and people that are struggling because they've lost their jobs. We've moved a big chunk of our budget over to benevolence so that we can help people in times of need uh, during this crisis. And so we couldn't do that without your sacrifice. We couldn't do that without your generosity. And so there's several ways to give at Trace. You can give online on our website through our app. Uh, You can text it in. There's several ways that you can give, but I just want to say thanks for your generosity and thanks for partnering with us and giving to the mission of God through Trace Church. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. And then I encourage you to just allow this to be a moment of response between you and your heavenly father. And then our worship team is going to come up and lead us in one more song. Father, thank you for this morning again. And Lord, I know it's different. It feels different. And we're in our homes and communion maybe just doesn't seem to have the same, you know, significance that it did. And so I just pray that you allow these moments with people and their families or with their friends or people that are uh, single and living alone, that this just becomes a sweet moment between you and them. What we like to call a thin space, God, where they feel your presence more tangibly, that they, they know that you're with them. And so God, I pray that you would use these moments in all the different living rooms around the nation and just allow this to be a thin space between you and your kids and remind them you love them and help them to feel it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.